We're back in the young'un's van, heading to a gig. Sean is on the phone to his parents. He's been on the phone to his parents for most of the journey. Sean's phone calls to his parents take double the time that they really should take. This is because his parents don't seem to have invested in a phone with a speaker. Sean's conversation with his parents therefore consists of him telling the same stories and generally answering exactly the same questions twice. And if grandma's there... I think Sean really needs to buy his parents a phone with a hands-free speaker setting for the sake of his own sanity. It's only going to get worse the older his parents get. Once their memories start going, he'll talk to his mum, she'll then pass him on to his dad, and by the time Sean's repeated the same conversation with his dad, Sean's mum will be back on the phone, both parents having completely forgotten that they've already talked to him, meaning that Sean will be in line to tell the story to both of them separately for a second time. My dad has had a speakerphone for years. On the plus side, this means that I don't have to repeat myself over and over again to different family members. However, it does have its setbacks. When I call home, I am immediately put on speaker, and my news is broadcast to whoever is present, and everyone will just chip in. There'll be no advanced mention as to who's in the room. I'll be in the middle of telling a story to my dad, with no idea there is anybody else around, and then my brother will suddenly chime in. My dad's fiance Irene, one of my nieces or nephews, or even the postman, if he happens to be passing. Oh, there's no such thing as privacy in our family, which is very difficult for me, because as you all know, I am ordinarily a very private man. It's not like I want to broadcast my life to all and sundry. It took my dad a while to get used to operating this newfangled phone with a hands-free speaker setting. For the first year or so, rather than pressing the button to terminate the call after the conversation, he would press the button that would transfer the phone from the hands-free speaker setting to the hands-in receiver setting. I'd then get the post-phone call discussion, as dad and whoever else was in the room had a conversation about what I'd just been talking about. Well, he seems to be doing all right, or at least he says he is anyway, says Dad. Yes, good to hear the gigs are going well. He sounds busy, says my dad's fiancée Irene. I hope the ointment works on that embarrassing growth he was talking about. It sounds quite nasty, says the postman. I try and shout down the phone to tell them that I can still hear them and that they haven't hung up properly, but it's no use. I could still hear them, but they couldn't hear me, and they just kept chatting away about me, and I'd keep listening out of curiosity and hope that my dad wouldn't say something awkward for me to hear, like, I know it's a bad thing for a father to say, but I just can't help feeling disappointed in him. Well, I know it's not really my place to say, but uh, I know exactly what you mean, says the milkman. Or things could get really awkward. Well, I thought he was never going to get off the phone, but now he's gone. It's just me and you. Do you fancy a, a bit of fun? Let's get you out of that dress. Oh, yes, come here, big boy, says the postman. I bit my lip today. Oh, boy. Oh, please, tell us more, David. Well, don't you worry your pretty little heads. That's exactly what I intend to do. I seem to bite my lip once every six weeks. I wonder why. I wonder what happens in my brain to somehow, once in every six weeks or so of chewing, miscalculate the chew and chomp right through my lip. I have no idea how many chews an average meal consists of, but I would imagine that in the space of six weeks I'd have clocked up tens of thousands of chews. My brain clearly knows how to chew, yet after thousands upon thousands of consecutive successful chews, it'll make an error of judgement and I'll bite my lip. I had a discussion with my friends around the table about this, and they too estimated that they bite into their lip about once every six weeks. Obviously this is just an approximate guess by everyone. We're not weird and sad enough to keep a diary of these malmastications. How's that for a word, eh? Malmastication. I just made that up just then. Eh, check me out. We are, however, weird and sad enough to have a protracted conversation in which we spend our entire meal swapping anecdotes about times when we bit into our lips. Then again, you can't exactly judge us, bearing in mind you're listening to a blog or about this very subject, and be honest, you're really enjoying it, aren't you?
So it seems... As if it's a congenital human trait for the brain to very occasionally miscalculate the chew, even though it manages thousands upon thousands of times. I wonder whether our subconsciouses get a bit complacent. Maybe after six weeks of successful chewing, it starts to get a bit cocky and thinks, Nah, this is a piece of cake, and chewing this piece of cake is very easy. It's a bit boring, though. I think my mouth should be aware of what to do without me for a bit. I think I might take a walk and see what's going on in the rest of the brain. Maybe help out with a more interesting autonomic function. Maybe have a dabble with the respiratory system. You know, just for a bit of a change. Oh, shit! The lip! Oh, damn. The sympathetic nervous system is going to be furious with me now. I'm not sure if that joke is particularly scientifically accurate, but what it might have lacked in scientific validity, it more than made up for in hilarity, as I'm sure you'll all agree. Tonight's gig was supporting Richard Hawley at the Unthanks Festival in Newcastle. With just ten days to go until the festival, the Unthanks were informed that their intended venue was going to be out of action due to some emergency construction work. So, the venue was changed at the last minute. The new venue used to be a factory, and I think it must have only been recently converted, because while the venue was perfectly acceptable from the audience's perspective, there wasn't yet a properly established backstage area. Our dressing room, therefore, was more or less a dark, dingy shed, and access to the stage was somewhat inhibited by a series of obstacles, including pipes, metal bolts stuck out of the floor and very low beams on the roof. Either this place was still in the process of being converted or it had been very poorly designed. I hope this wasn't down to poor design consultancy work from David Eagle and his cronies. That man has already caused me enough problems, wasting hours of my life forwarding on his rogue messages to him without him almost killing me with his low-hanging beams and his jutting out pipes and sharp metal bolts. It might have also been David Eagle and friends who were responsible for the original venue having to undergo emergency construction work. Maybe me and this David Eagle have history. Maybe we're sworn enemies from a past life. Well, if that is the case, then I'm clearly winning this karmic battle, given that I diligently forward on his straight emails, whereas he can't even be bothered to thank me. Keep going the way you're going, David, and in the next life, I'll be a wealthy prince, and you will be my domestic servant, and I'll make you spend all your days forwarding emails to people, just to teach you a lesson. I got chatting to another straight... Why is it all in grade one braille? Hang on a minute. I can't read grade one braille, you'll all understand. I've never known this before, ladies and gentlemen. A little bit of extra drama that the readers don't get. English US 8.computer braille is what it's set to. I've no idea why. English UK grade two. Don't mind if I do. Thank you very much. Okay. David's Daily Digital Dollop. Dollop 261, The Spitter. I got chatting to another stranger on the train today. He was a nice man, but when he said words that were particularly sibilant, he would spit at me. The first time he did this, a rather sizable globule of spit landed on my face between my eyes. It hit me with quite an impressive amount of force, so much so that it caused me to make an exclamation of shock. I didn't want to make the man feel uncomfortable and didn't want to draw attention to the fact that he just spat on me. So, to avoid the embarrassment, I quickly attempted to adapt my noise of surprise and tried to manoeuvre it into a sound that might be more or akin to a noise denoting great interest in what he'd just said. I'm not sure I pulled it off particularly effectively, given that what he was saying didn't really warrant such an enthusiastic noise. He was telling me that he was heading to see his sister in Surrey, hence the sibilance. Then he spat on me, and I shouted out in shock, and then tried to change it into a noise of enthusiasm. I would now have to invent a reason that would justify my effusive exclamation. The noise that I made, incidentally, was kind of like, um... Huh? 
like that. <laughs> oh, wow, my sister is also in Surrey. <laughs> what a coincidence. I'm not sure whether this really warranted such a passionate noise of excitement, but it was the first thing that came to mind, so it would have to do. Of course, he then asked me which part of Surrey she came from. Michael's family live in Red Hill in Rygate, so I plucked for that. It turned out, though, this is where his sister also happened to live, and so he asked me for a name, saying that he might know her. I decided to go for a name that didn't contain any P's, T's or S's, in case he should use it in our conversation and rain down more spit upon me. So I went for Mary. A safe choice, I thought. He asked me where she worked. I hoped that my invention of a sibling would have just been an expedient way of vindicating my weird, enthusiastic noise, but it was requiring more and more elaboration. Uh, in a florist's, I said, and immediately regretted my choice of shop. Florist's has both an S and a T in it. I braced myself for the spit to hit. A florist's? He said, and sure enough, the spit came and landed on my forehead, joining its predecessors. But this time I was ready for it, and fortunately, I didn't make a weird noise. I didn't want to have to invent any more siblings. One was proving quite enough. Flowers 77? He asked. Oh, trust him to know bloody florists in Redhill. And how bloody typical that the name of the florists in Redhill has three S's and a T. Another spit globule met my forehead. I pretended not to remember the name of the place where she worked at. Knowing my look, I'd say yes, only to find out that his sister was the boss of that florist's. My sister lives within spitting distance, he says. I started to wonder whether he was doing this deliberately. Maybe he gets some weird kick from spitting at people and watching them be all too British and awkward to say anything. Maybe the spitting distance line is him toying with me, spitting at me while he says the word spitting, sort of goading me. He was talking, but my concentration had lapsed. I could feel his spit on my face, and it was uncomfortable, wet and itchy. I was wondering whether I could wipe it off without him noticing. He clearly just asked asked me a question. I could tell by the fact that his voice had risen at the end of the sentence, but I had no idea what the question was. I had to ask him to repeat what he just said, which was an annoyance, because whatever it was he'd said had involved quite a bit of spitting, and now I was inviting more spit to come my way. So, to where are you bound? he asked. No, he didn't. That was just a little in-joke there for the dollop regulars. He actually said, so where are you off to? At that moment, the man on the PA announced the next stop. I took this as my get-out opportunity and pretended that this was my stop. As I pulled up my coat over my head, I took the opportunity to wipe away the spit, given that he wouldn't be able to see me. I said goodbye to the man and made a prompt exit, just in case he opted for a ta-ta and drenched me once more in spit. I scurried down the carriage, hoping that I could get lost in the mass of people heading for the door. I took myself in front of a rather tall man, hoping that this would block my view from the spitter, and darted into the other carriage, hoping that he didn't see me. I then spent the rest of the journey huddled low down in my seat, fearing that he might walk through the carriage on the way to the toilet and spot me still on the train. All this palaver because I was too polite and embarrassed to draw the man's attention to the fact that he was spitting at me. Manners cost nothing. <laughs> they bloody do. I was a nervous wreck on that train, huddled in my seat, dreading being seen. Whilst walking to Sainsbury's today, don't get your hopes up, this isn't another one of my highly popular Sainsbury's anecdotes, sorry, I got a phone call from a woman asking me if I'd had an accident that wasn't my fault or if I was seeking to claim compensation for anything. Alas, she wasn't keen to explore damages for loss of time and potential earnings due to rogue messages for the other David Eagle, nor was she interested in helping me get compensation from the man on the train who had drenched me in his spit. That spit might be riddled with all sorts of germs. There could potentially 
actually give me some kind of disease. But she wasn't willing to represent me in such matters. She seemed a bit down about the fact that I hadn't been in a serious accident. So I asked her whether a car crash might count, and she suddenly perked up, which is very charming of her. She gleefully asked me to tell her more about the crash. I told her that I hadn't had a crash yet, but said that I might be willing to if there was a good chance of getting compensation. We could keep it hush-hush, just between me, her and the wall. Literally. At that exact moment, with uncanny timing, two cars sped past each other, sounding their horns. I think that this might have freaked out the woman from the solicitors, because when the noise of the horns had dissipated and I was able to hear the phone again, she had gone. Perhaps she thought that I'd actually decided to crash into a wall in order to get compensation. My friend used to have an app on his phone that could play background sounds to the caller, meaning that you could pretend to be in a different location to the one that you were actually in. I remember he called me up once and said that he was in a forest being chased by wolves. Sure enough, there was the sounds of wolves in the distance howling, although his prank wasn't at all convincing because he'd forgotten to do any panting or running. I suppose this app could have some quite useful practical purposes. You should be at work, but you fancy a lie-in. So, you just call up your boss and you say that you're running late due to being stuck in really bad traffic. You could play the sounds of beeping car horns to make it seem as if you actually were in the traffic jam, when in fact you were still in bed. Similarly, you could have a background soundtrack that sounds like you're in a really brutal crash, which would be useful in freaking out any cold callers asking you if you had an accident recently. Of course, you need to be wary about using such an app in case your finger slips and you accidentally choose the wrong sound, meaning that you suddenly find yourself having to improvise a scenario to your boss in which you're being chased through a forest by wolves. Another feature that I think should come with phones is a button that when you press it will sound your ringtone so that you can get out of awkward or annoying conversations with people. This would have come in really handy yesterday with a talkative man on the train spitting at me. I could have subtly put my hand into my pocket, pressed the button on my phone, the phone would ring and I'd have a way of getting out of conversing with him. Obviously this might get a little bit awkward if you're in the middle of talking, pretending to be on the phone to someone, and then someone actually does call you and the phone rings, meaning that your cover is blown. But you could easily circumvent such an issue by having a feature that warns you when an incoming call is happening, only there is a delay of about five seconds before the phone begins to ring. This would then give you enough time to wrap up your pretend conversation, say goodbye, go to put your phone back in your pocket, only for it to start ringing again. You could then just take your phone out of your pocket and act all surprised, saying something like, What a coincidence! I've literally just this second got off the phone to Nigel. Notice how I invented a name there, just to give my pretext even more credibility. Maybe Apple should think about doing something useful like that rather than messing around with headphone sockets. There are so many occasions when such a feature would rescue me from awkward situations. Still, I suppose if I didn't have strange garrulous men on the train spitting at me, then I wouldn't have anything to write about, so maybe it's for the best that such features don't exist. In yesterday's dollop, I mentioned my friend trying to do an unsuccessful prank call on me, which involved him playing the sounds of howling and telling me that he was being chased through a forest by wolves. He had downloaded a phone app that could play various background sounds to the caller. This plan, however, failed for a number of reasons. Firstly, the sound effects might have been realistic, but he hadn't thought to pant or run, so it was clear that he wasn't being chased. Secondly, it seemed ridiculous that if he was in a forest being chased by wolves, he would choose to ring me. There are 
few phone calls that are going to help you if you're being chased through the forest by wolves, but I imagine that the emergency services might be more of a practical use than me. If he was calling me to declare his last words, then again, I seemed like an unlikely choice. Surely he'd be more likely to ring his parents. Plus, it was in the middle of the day, and I'd only just seen him a couple of hours ago. Where the bloody hell did he manage to travel to in that short space of time? Where there are wolves roaming around the place? When I'd last seen him a couple of hours ago, he was on the train to Newcastle. I mean, that's one hell of a diversion. So, as phone pranks go, that one was very poor. I was doing better pranks than that when I was at school. For instance, I once successfully impersonated one of our teachers and rang up a student. I say it successfully. It was essentially its very success that led to its failure. My voice had just broken. It happened in a rather spectacular fashion. It wasn't a fluctuating thing, like with a lot of my classmates, where their voices would vacillate sporadically between Barry White and Barry Gibb. Oh no, mine seemed to just go and then stay gone. You might think this is preferable and less awkward than all those weird vocal fluctuations experienced by my peers. Except, my moment happened at a rather inopportune moment. I was standing in front of hundreds of people, children, teachers and parents, in the school hall. It was the Christmas concert, and I had been chosen. I had been given the honour to be the person who would be the lead chorister, who opened the proceedings with the traditional solo verse of Once in Royal David's City. Up until the point where I began to sing on that fateful evening, there was, as far as I can recall, no indication of what was about to happen. A hush descended, and then I began to sing. Well, I'm not sure if sing is at all an accurate word to use. In fairness, the first line wasn't too bad. It was a little croaky, but at least it was in tune. But then, my voice suddenly, and very surprisingly, plummeted in pitch. So, rather than sing the line, stood a lowly cattle shed, it sounded as if I'd chosen instead to do an impression of the cattle inside that lowly cattle shed. And lowly was very much the operative word, given my dramatic drop through the octaves. Despite the children's stifled giggles, the teachers shushing the children, and the parents' awkward and uncertain throat clears and embarrassed, mild, murmurous laughs, I continued before the rest of the choir eventually took over with a second verse, with the rather fitting words, He came down. Sean thinks that I've ripped this story off from The Simpsons and reckons that this exact scenario occurred with Bart. I am convinced that I've never seen this particular Simpsons episode, but I suppose there is a chance that I've somehow got confused and saw this Simpsons episode and misremembered it as an event that happened in my own life. If this is the case, then I am sorry for wasting your time. Door. However, I suppose that there is another explanation. Maybe there was a member of the writing team on The Simpsons who just so happened, for some reason, to be present at a Middlesbrough Primary School's Christmas concert, witnessed my embarrassing performance, and then incorporated it into The Simpsons. I should be worth millions now and never have to work again, and thus I'd have no reason to hang around with Sean and Michael. But alas, I've been ripped off. One positive thing about my newfound voice was that I discovered that I could now do impressions of certain adults. There were a few of the blind people in our school, and one day when one of the younger blind students was walking through the corridor, I hollered at him in the voice of Mr. Smith. Tuck your shirt in, Jonathan. And Jonathan was duped and said, so Sorry, sir. I was rather surprised and pleased by my newly acquired skill. A few days later, a plan formulated itself, and I executed a phone prank, pretending to be Mr. Smith. But it is getting rather late, so I shall regale you with that story in tomorrow's dollop. Until then... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> My voice went up at the end. I thought there was more, but it just said dot, dot, dot.
I was going to write this story down, and I have started writing it. I've written about 200 words, but then I realised that, actually, as this story involves a phone call, and it involves me doing an impression of a school teacher, it seems more fitting just to act it out rather than write it down. So, yesterday, you left me, at the age of 12, my voice having just broken in a rather ignominious way, and I think my voice broke quite early in comparison to my peers. And so it was a little bit awkward, but... I soon discovered an advantage of my voice breaking. And that was, I was now able to do impressions of adults. My particular favourite was a school teacher called Mr Smith, who was the PE teacher. So this discovery then led me to deciding to play a little bit of a prank on someone. Someone who was in the year above me at school, and he was on the swimming team. And I was about to be on the swimming team. I just got to the age where I was allowed to be on the swimming team. And I remember having a conversation with this lad who was a year above me me in which I kind of jokingly said oh well that's it you know I might be in the year below but essentially you know I'm going to overtake you and uh, you know you've got to watch out and I knew that he was a really serious swimmer and his dad really sort of encouraged him one of those parents who you know really encouraged their sons in sport kind of I think lived vicariously through their own sons you know and he really sort of pushed him into swimming it was sort of the be all and end all and so I kind of knew this would wind him up a little bit and I was like oh yes I'm going to uh, you know I'm going to overtake take you, I'm going to qualify ahead of you, you know, here's you in the year above, etc, etc. And it was kind of just, it was meant to be playful, but you could tell it was, it was rankling him. It was getting to him. And I thought, well, this man is ripe for the pranking. Hello, Elsa. You're off to bed. Okay. I'm going to the attic to continue this story so that Elsa isn't disturbed. She's going to sleep in the attic. I think the acoustics are better in the attic. Oh, and there's a, in the attic here, there is a... A guitar. If I, if the fancy takes me, I could do a musical version of this story. I actually think that um, I was thinking about this a couple of days ago. David's Daily Digital Dollop, the musical. I could take a dollop and turn it into a bit of a musical and make a song out of it. So if there's anybody who would like a specific dollop turned into like a short musical, then let me know which dollop you would like. And maybe in the next week or so, I shall work one of the dollops into a, a very hyperbolic, dramatic musical. Anyway, back to the story. So, I rang this person up, and his dad answered. And I said, hello, um, is that Mr... No, I'll give him a different name just in case. I'll call him Mr. Cedric. Hello, is that uh, Mr. Cedric? And his dad said, yes, yes, hello, this uh, Mr. Smith here from Ormsby School. And it was obviously convincing enough for his dad. His dad was like, oh, hello, Mr. Smith, how's my son doing at swimming? I guess uh, just need to have a little bit of a word uh, with your son. But uh, I'm expecting big things from Robert this year. Well, we we can hope, but uh, yeah, uh, a little chat with your son if uh, if possible, Mister Cedric. Oh yeah, no problem, Mister Smith. And so he he shouted, Robert. Robert's not his real name. I have cleverly changed it. And I didn't even... No hesitation, you'll notice. No hesitation. I didn't say his real name. I just made a one up there. Just came from nowhere. That's the kind of storyteller I am. Not only able to keep the narrative going, do the voices, but also just improvise and think of a false name on the fly. Absolutely brilliant. You're in safe hands, my friends. And so Robert comes to the phone. Hello, Robert. Uh, it's uh, Mr. Smith here. Uh, hello, sir. Yeah, this is a little bit of an awkward one, Robert, but um, I just wanted to break the news to you over the phone. I know how much the swimming matters to you. I therefore wanted to mention this on the phone so that you can come to terms with this in the privacy of your own home rather than in front of the, the other students. Oh, uh, okay. Now, the thing is, Robert, I know you take swimming very seriously and you've certainly got the willpower and the commitment. The trouble is, 
I'm just not sure that you've got the skill. And I could hear his voice wobbling. And I was faced with two choices. I either came clean, but even though I was feeling a little bit guilty, I was also magnetised. I was enjoying the power. I was like, how far can I go with this? Now, the thing is, there's someone who, I'm not going to mince my words, Robert, who has outclassed you. And actually, outclass is quite a fitting phrase, really, because he's actually in the class below you, he's in the year below you, uh, yet he's outclassed you in terms of skill. I might as well tell you who it is, because you're going to find out eventually when he, uh, when he becomes captain of the swimming team. Um, it's David Eagle. Uh, you, you're aware of David Eagle? Uh, yes, sir. Well, I'm afraid David Eagle has usurped you in the swimming. And I'm afraid we've had to drop you from the team, John. It's never happened before, but someone from the year below has outclassed someone from the year above. And he was making the most ridiculous noises, howling. And I, I don't know what possessed me. I just kept going. I felt I had this power. I just continued. At which point, Robert's dad picks up the other phone and I hear him angrily shout, Who is this? At which point I knew the game was up. My heart began to pound and my voice seemed to revert back to my former voice before it had broken. And in a really squeaky, high-pitched voice, tremulously, I said, uh, It's Mr. Smith! Mr. Smith! <laughs> and I dropped the phone onto the receiver and ran out of the room, thinking, what the bloody hell have I done? Let's just hope they don't work out who it is. I mean, goodness knows. <laughs> I think it was pretty obvious who it was, bearing in mind that I'd talked about David Eagle non-stop. <laughs> I mean, I'd probably given the game away. I completely forgot about the existence of 1471. This is when it just came out, and the next thing I know, the phone is ringing in the other room, and there was just me in the house. I just ignored the phone and just hoped that the ringing would stop, but it continued. It went on and it went on. Eventually it stopped. And as it stopped, my mum returned home. And sure enough, 30 seconds later, the phone rang. She answered it and got Robert's angry father, who basically told her what had just happened. And I knew I was for it. And the phone went down. Oh my goodness, she was very angry. <laughs> she made me ring up the Cedrics. I had to apologise to his dad apologised to Robert, and all the while doing it in the most ridiculous, teary, tremulous, high-pitched, squeaky voice. But then even worse, Mr. Cedric contacted Mr. Smith and told him what had happened. And the next day at school, I had to go into Mr. Smith's office and he gave me a massive lecture about impersonating people. And it, but it got even worse. He was like, come on then, uh, let's hear this impression. Let's hear the impression, shall we? Since you enjoy impersonating teachers so much, let's, let's hear this impression. And there was other teachers there and I had to stand up and they, were ma and they made me impersonate him. <laughs> but it was so difficult to do because I was like all tremulous again, like, oh no, I can't do it. Come on, come on, let's hear it, let's hear it. We all want to hear it, don't we? Don't we, Mr. Anderson? Oh, yes, Mr. Smith, we all, we all want to hear the impression. And I was like, oh, I can't, no, no, come on, I don't sound like that, do I? I don't sound like that. And they made me do it, and I had to kind of, like, compose myself. Hello, <clears throat> oh, it's uh, Mr. Mr. Smith. Of course, the teachers had a good laugh about that. So I think it's safe to say, actually, that I got my comeuppance, I think it's safe to say. Anyway, that's that little story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll be back tomorrow with Dollop 265. From me, David Eagle, and me, Mr. Smith, and me, Mr. Cedric, and me, Robert Cedric. Oh, yes, a man of many voices. Ladies and gentlemen, goodbye. So I think we're on. We bloody better be. <laughs> I haven't got any time to do a dollop really today. And now if we're not recording, that's even worse.
Welcome to David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 265, dish washing special. I'd like to say I'm doing a dish washing dollop due to popular demand. A lot of people saying, oh, we'd love another dish washing dollop, David, with you in the kitchen washing the dishes while you, you talk. But it, it's not due to popularity, it's just due to the fact that I need to wash the dishes. And I've got very little time to do all the things that I need to do today, such as compiling things for the young'uns in the mix, which I will be releasing within the next day or two. It was meant to be released a couple of days ago, but it's taking a lot longer to compile things and level out the volumes and things than I thought. I won't go into the details. I'll just give you the potted highlights. Uh, a few problems with uh, side chaining, latch automation. Oh, dear me. What I really should be doing right now is cracking on with the onions in the mix and getting it finished and then it gets to 11 o'clock and I realise I still haven't done a dollop and I need to get that done today. It's becoming the bane of my life. <laughs> becoming. <laughs> I, think it, I think it became the bane of my life in dollop three to be honest. Oh, where's the bloody sponge gone? Bit of drama now ladies and gentlemen. I've lost the sponge. Nope, I found the sponge. There you go, brilliant. I'll be, I'll be going on the best of. Where was the sponge? Why not guess where you think the sponge was? And I will give the answer tomorrow. In tomorrow's dollop. I mean, alternatively, there might be a few people commenting where they'd like me to stick the sponge. Um, in, uh, in Chloe's case, for very different reasons. But... Um, <laughs> where was the sponge, ladies and gentlemen? Feel free to get involved in that there. As of yet, as of discussing this, although I actually haven't checked the comments, so I might be completely wrong. I was going to say, as of yet, no suggestions for David's Daily Digital, the dollop, the musical, where we're looking for which dollop that I have written or recorded that I could turn into a musical, sort of a hyperbolic, dramatic musical. You know, maybe just like a three or four minute song or something. Um, but if anyone wants to get involved with that, I'm... <laughs> I know you all have lives and things like that, I'm just saying. I do feel like I'm having a nervous breakdown though. <laughs> I'm washing the dishes, essentially talking to myself. Well, I'm not talking to myself, there are people listening. But on days like this, I can't help wondering how many people just switch off. <laughs> I was just about to say, if you switched off, leave a comment. Uh, let me know if you listen to the end. Well, I suppose you could do that. If you're switching off now, you could just say, I switched off after two minutes, David. But obviously, you won't be able to do that if you've already switched off. There might have been someone about to switch off, and then they heard Where's My Sponge, uh, the exciting game, and they thought, no, no, I'm going to give this a bit of an extra... I want to find out where the sponge is. I want to... I've got a sneaking suspicion that today's job is probably the worst one so far, but... Again, that's another fun feature. Can you think of a worse dollop than the one that you're currently listening to? Uh, feel free, ladies and gentlemen, to get involved in all of these fun games. So we're looking for uh, David's Jelly Digital Dollop Musical. Which dollop that I have written or recorded would you like me to dramatise in song form? And also we're looking for your guesses on where the sponge is, or where the sponge was. I mean, if, depending on what you read scientifically, the sponge was never there until I saw the sponge. And then the sponge only became... Um, into reality when I found the sponge. So before that point it wasn't there, it was just a series of um, probability um, whatever they say <laughs> whatever the theory is 
It's an intellectual comedy there, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure you'll all agree. Uh, <laughs> also, a potential new feature, what am I washing? Mystery sound. Here I am washing something. What am I washing? Get involved, people. This is it. It's a shame I'm not doing a live dollop. We could have, we could have doing this as a live stream and people would be interacting on the fly. Right now, the messages would be swarming in. My microphones still haven't arrived, so I haven't been able to do any walking dollops. I mean, all sorts of things might be going on right now in Sheffield. That man might have a new water feature. Who knows? I'm going to put in some new water. I've dirtied that water. I think it's part of the breakdown. No idea why I did that. Absolutely disgusting. But, uh, God, these dollops are just doing strange things to me. I just. Anyway, the package that I assumed was the microphones a few days ago was not the microphones, it was something else. I ordered these microphones on the 4th of September and they were shipped on the 9th, but by the 21st they still hadn't arrived. So I went on the UPS website for international deliveries and was surprised to find that the item said it was delivered. But it hadn't turned up at the house, nor had it been delivered next door. So I've no idea what's going on. And it said it had been delivered on September the 20th at 6.27am, which seems a bit weird. Unless it's talking about American time, of course, because the microphones have come from America. I rang up the UPS phone line, and my goodness, it was one of those bloody automated things where this machine tries to fob you off and says, why not visit our website? You can, I just want to speak to a human being and find out where the bloody hell it is. I don't want to, I've already done all I can do on the website. So I had to listen to all of that. And then the machine says, tell me why you're calling. I don't know how much it can understand. I don't know how intelligent the machine is. I mean, I've told it to fuck off 20 times and it hasn't, you know, it doesn't seem to have understood. So I wouldn't imagine it is particularly intelligent. It just kind of continued to blabber on asking me to tell it things. It said, just say things like, I am changing my address. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not changing my address. Although I shouldn't have said I'm not changing my address. Because when I got I got annoyed with it and said, no, I'm not changing my address, it thought I was saying I was changing the address. So then it said, oh, you are changing your address. Is that correct, it said. I said, no. So I had to go back to the start again. Tell me why you are calling. So I said to it, I'm trying to track my delivery. And it said, you want to send back your delivery. So then I sighed. I sort of just gave a little sigh. That's all I did. I gave a sigh. But according to this machine, my sigh was, was akin to, yes, have you been sent the wrong item? And I had to go through all that and say no. I had to try and get back to the start. And I was in this weird fictional scenario. I was trying to work out why I wanted to send my item back. But I, I didn't want to send my item back. Now it heard my sigh as a yes. It didn't seem to be an option that said, did I accidentally hear your sigh as a yes? Is that where we're going wrong here? It didn't do that. So it was very difficult for me to know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I just kept shouting at the machine and I was getting more and more exasperated. And every single time I spoke, it would shut up. So be the middle of saying something. And then I would just sigh and it would just stop and it would think I'd said something else and for some reason it thinks my sighs sound like yes so I got into a whole weird maze I had to ring up again <laughs> and it said why not visit our website so I had to go through the whole thing again if in the end I managed to get it to understand that I wanted to track my delivery and it asked for my order number and then it got even more confusing because to read the order number I had to use my screen reader on my phone to hear what the order number was and then deliver it but as soon as it heard my screen reader it thought that it was listening to me. For instance, it was saying LZ6. 
If I then say LZ6, is it hearing the screen reader saying LZ6? And then it hears me saying LZ6, so it's doing that twice. Or is it not understanding what the screen reader's saying? How the heck am I meant to know this? You can't ask the machine, oh, just a second, you do realise there's a, a fellow machine which is talking to you. Can you understand that machine, or do I have to, the human, have to interpret what it's saying? There's no, you know, this isn't in the machine's lexicon. So I think it was getting confused about that. So it said, I'm sorry, I, I didn't quite hear that. Hello? Oh, sorry, you're recording. Yes. Okay, hello. Well, I do hope I make a guest appearance on the, uh, <laughs> on the knowledge. Yes, I'm sure some hardcore fans can say when you were last yeah, appeared there. That's another thing to interact with, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, check this out. This is the oh. special effects for the evening. Whoa. Excellent. Yes. That was uh, Ben's just had his penis pierced, so that was quite a. That's what that was, ladies and gentlemen. So I was getting really confused, and then I said the number, and it was said, no, no, the number begins with a one. And <laughs> I was saying it, it doesn't begin with a one. It doesn't begin with a one. It doesn't. It began with an L. And it was saying, please give your order number, which will begin with a one. And I went, well, it doesn't begin with a one. And I was shouting this out. Then I thought, right, how do I get to the next stage? I'm just pretend. I just put a one at the start of the number, which didn't exist. And it seemed to pacify it for a little bit. But then it said it couldn't find that particular order number. Eventually, it connected me to a person. And within a second, I was through to someone and they were able to help me. Within about 30 seconds, they'd explained to me that the delivery had gone to the Royal Mail Depot and it was now in the hands of the Royal Mail. And the reason the order number wasn't recognised is because that's now a Royal Mail order number that begins with an L. The order number's been changed. So, straight away, a human was able to tell me that. But the machine wasn't able to tell me that. I just don't understand the point of these machines. And also, what gets me, when you ring up the bank, for instance, you ring up the call centre, they're always trying to say, you do realise, sir, that you can do this via the website or you can do this via the app? And I don't understand. It's, it's weird. They're kind of talking themselves out of a job. Because if I use the app and everybody else uses the app or the website, what are these people going to do? They're talking themselves out of a job. It's weird. They're contractually obliged to fire themselves. The more successful they are, the more likely they are to make themselves redundant. Oh, well, thank you very much, sir. You've persuaded me that not using your service is an excellent thing to do. Uh, I shall in future use the website. Excellent, my friend. I've just got another three people to convert and then I can take early retirement. Maybe that's how it works. Maybe they get a bonus. I think I'm doing them a favour. You know, I think using the call centre is actually doing them a favour and keeping them in business, despite the fact that they've got to keep saying, tow the party line and say, you do realise, sir, that you can do all of this online, but they're just towing the party line. Of course, they don't want people to do it online because then they won't have a job. But actually, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they can take early retirement and they get a bonus if no one uses the call centre, if they've managed to wean everybody off the call centre. I have no idea if anybody works in a bank call centre or another call centre where you have to tell people to not use your service then let me know what the deal is because I might be wrong I think I'm being philanthropic but I might not be philanthropic is is, is a pseudonym that I use for call centres because sometimes you don't want people to know who you are and then people can give you cold calls and that kind of thing so I use a, a different mobile phone and I uh, go under the pseudonym philanthropic and to think, there were some people who would have switched off after the first two minutes thinking this isn't going anywhere. But, you know, they've made a hasty decision, haven't they? Whereas you people, you stayed through, you kept listening, and you're being handsomely rewarded. <laughs> anyway, so then I had to go onto the Royal Mail website and type in that order number. And that got very confusing, because it says it's been delivered. But it says, delivered to recipient's P.O. box. But I don't have a post office box. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't have a P.O. box. 
Anyway, I'm not sure how good this dollop has been, but 265. So tomorrow will be 266, and there'll only be 100 dollops to go. So you might as well, if you've been listening since the start, you might as well continue. You know, you're nearly there. You can do it, my friends. You can do it. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs>